Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? It's going really well, Amy, and we have some big news on the pod this week. Yeah, you're ready. You're going to jump right into the news? I'm jumping, I'm jumping right in because it's important both in the SBC and specifically to this podcast. Amy Whitfield, my co-host right here, has been named the Associate Vice President of Convention Communications at the Executive Committee. Yeah, so it was, it, it was kind of a big week. It was. Big week for you. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, I, got, I thank you for that. And I have had a, a lot of great conversations with people. Some folks have reached out, been very encouraging. I've appreciated all the, the support. Um, why don't you explain what the Associate Vice President for Convention Communications does since you're now my boss? Yes, Which this I, I is just all a little awkward, that. folks. I'm not really yes. sure. And and we'll play it out right here. Everyone will get to experience the dynamics of that on this podcast every week. But since you're my boss, why don't you explain what, what it is? Yeah, well, I did have somebody last night say, look, I listen to the podcast and I know who the boss of this organization <laughs> is. And I was like, you're probably right, but on the org <laughs> chart. So just like hashtag org yes. chart, Amy. But anyway, so yeah, so when I came on at the executive committee, as vice president for communications, yeah, we started talking about the possibility of you coming as well and really helping us with messaging, with convention communications, things that are specific from the EC to the rest of the convention, and and to help us with messaging, to help us with SBC Life, the official news journal of the Southern Baptist Convention, and a, a couple other things. So it, it was it was just great to be able to make all that work out and. I know I'm excited about you in that role, but like I said in the press release here, I'm more excited about you serving as the women's liaison from the executive committee. I, I'm excited about both because I love um, I love messaging and I love seeing Southern Baptists get more engaged in the process because I think that's how we make our culture better is the more people that are involved and engaged and that starts with information. So convention communications is just a, a, a great place to to focus in on that. So I'm very excited about that. But yeah, I'm also really excited about the chance to do some work on how we implement strategies to involve women, encourage women, um, pipelines for them, and, uh, and, and really just to figure out, I mean, over half of Southern Baptists are women. And so uh, we've got to find some ways to make connections with them. So I'm excited to work on that and, and just build on some of the foundations that are already there, but get a chance to really give the day-to-day. One of the toughest things about this, I know, for you has been leaving Southeastern. So I had a lot of people asking her, she's going to be doing this on top of her role at Southeastern? Yeah. You know, service Director of Marketing Communications. And it's like, no, she's, she's jumping in full bore. It's going to be a remote-type position. You'll come into Nashville from time to time, probably once a month, once every four to six weeks, that kind of thing. But Southeastern, uh, it, it's been a huge part of your life the last few years, and will still be because your husband's still on staff. Yes, and faculty there. Yes, but uh, you know that that was that's got to be a kind of a sad moment as well. Yeah. So a lot of folks at Southeastern, when they reached out to me, said, "Okay, I really panicked, and then I read the press release and thought, well, at least you know we're not leaving. It, we're at least we're not losing the family and uh, or losing you in town." And I had a few people that thought. 
she can't leave. They just got this. They just moved into a, a new house, and so yeah, we've talked um, about that on here. Yeah, so that was uh, that was good to at least be able to say we're not moving. We're we're still part of the southeastern family. Keith is still in all of his roles there, and we live now about three blocks from the campus. So, uh, so it will very much be a part of my life, but day to day professionally, um, I'm going to start focusing my efforts on sort of the convention as a whole. I'm excited. I know everybody at the EC is excited. We, we announced it in staff meeting on Monday, right after the press release went out and the whole staff was really excited about it. I mean, you got a, you got like applause in staff meeting. That's so funny. We, we hired you. So, and then last night, uh, we'll talk about this in a few minutes. We're at the Caringwell Conference. We'll probably get to that after the news and talk about that. But they announced you as in this role and applause again. So that was it was pretty awesome. Amy. Yeah, that was uh, that was funny. I, people have been very kind, and uh, one thing it shows is just an excitement for I think both the fresh messaging and the opportunity to connect with women has gotten people very excited. So I, I've received a lot of good encouragement. But I uh, I have very much loved, I, I do want to say, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, I very much loved my five and a half years in the communications office at Southeastern and worked with have worked with an incredible team. They are just amazing. Um, they just made everything look good and, and uh so the the one thing I will miss is spending every day in the office with them. Although they would probably say she was at meetings all the time. We didn't see her. So, you know. Well, I'm sure you won't be a stranger to the campus at Southeastern. You'll have to borrow the copier at time from time to time, I'm sure. Absolutely, yes. So it, it's exciting. And, and once again, congratulations, Amy. And one of the things you are most passionate about is the SBC annual meeting. We want people in the room uh, because decisions are made. By those who show up. And they are showing up. If this is any they indication. They are showing up. They are showing up. Wow. Yes. Amazing uh, this week. Hotel registration opened on Monday. I've got my hotel reservation. Amy, do you? I've been told. My boss said that I have <laughs> one. So. Yes. I-, I checked with him and you do have one as well. So Yes. Uh, but the, uh, the hotel registration opened this week and we saw an overwhelming response to that, Amy. Yeah. Very excited. I-, I meant to do a tweet that's the play on Dean and Sarah's tweet that he always does Sunday morning um, is a Saturday night decision. Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. And I always think that the SBC annual meeting is an October decision. So... Um, or can be. I mean, we still got hotel yes. rooms. You can go to it now. And you know, I, not many. I know. Well, not in the immediate area. But here's something we have to remember: that what we want is greater engagement. But as we do, then our radius of hotel rooms is going to expand a little bit. So if you go to the hotel site now, you do still see rooms available, but some of them are. Um, a half a mile away, a mile away, um, a little bit, and that's okay. That's part of what we deal with when we're all coming together in a large group. And, you know, if you remember back some of those stories from Dallas in 85, I mean, I've heard things about people sleeping in their cars. I've heard people in cabins at state parks and coming in, like just everything. And we've done these stories about people staying in homes and in train cars and all of that. So it the, we've had several years of some smaller numbers, and so we've all been sort of huddled right around the convention center. We may have to expand out a little bit, and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, we can't fit 14,000 people in one hotel. Right. I don't know where we'll wind up 
with the messenger count, we're all expecting more than 10, uh, up to 12,000 messengers. Yes. Uh, church count is also something that we're really looking for. We want to see 5,000 churches involved in the annual meeting. Last year, it was around 3,500. Yep. So we want to see that increase as well. But I did have some data. I talked to Lynn Richmond, uh, my coworker there at the executive committee, who is the convention manager. And the first day, after eight hours of being online, so it went online at eight in the morning, after four o'clock in the afternoon, we had more than 13,500 room nights of our 16,000 room nights booked. So in one day, That's we amazing. were like 80 something percent yeah. full. So just an incredible, incredible stat there. But those who are listening, don't let that discourage you. Keep, keep trying, go in there. And also, I know of people who are reaching out to friends they know who are looking at Airbnbs. I know uh, Bart Barber has a, a block of rooms at the residence inn. I think I saw that on, on Twitter, which those could be gone by now. But find a way to be there uh, because those are two incredibly important days for us. Yes. And, you know, if, if you're a, here's another thing too. If you are a timeshare owner or have RCI or something like that, you can typically space bank that and transfer it to a place trade, in Orlando. Right. So you can, you can trade those around. So that may be something and that would be, you know, that would really help on the cost there. Cause I think the, the trading cost in RCI is somewhere around a couple hundred dollars. So, you know, you can, you can have that week next year down in Orlando or a week or two, if you want to, to stay a little extra and, and see the sites, so to speak. Uh, so it, it's, it's a, it, a lot of possibilities. Orlando is not lacking for hotel rooms. It right. just may not be right. at the convention hotel. Right. Not, not right at the convention hotel. But when you get there, obviously there's rental cars, Ubers, everything. So uh, make yes. your plans to come. All right. It's the first of the month, Amy. You know what that means. CP. It does. And it's also the budget year end. Yes. So we've got, we've got news. Got big news. Big news, Amy. We are $2.7 million above budget giving for 2018-2019 fiscal year. That's exceeding the budget for five years in a row. So yes, that's so good. For the fifth consecutive fiscal year, contributions through the cooperative program to national and international ministries have exceeded the budgetary expectations. It's an exciting time for this. I mean, we saw this. We've been covering this. You know, I'm not going to take credit for this, Amy, but before our podcast, it was not meeting budget. After our podcast, it is. I'll let the listeners decide. I'm I'm not even going to discuss that. We know, uh, you know, correlation and causation, not the same thing. And so I'm going to let you stand on your own with that little statement out there. Um, I think it's important to remember. So the gifts received for distribution, gifts received by the executive committee for distribution through the CP allocation budget. That's what we're talking about here. So that was $196,731,703.44. Um, Now, if we think of the cooperative program as a whole, that actually would also include what churches are giving to their states. And then this is the budget, the allocation budget for the SBC that has gotten passed on. So that's actually just one part of the cooperative program as a whole. That's helpful to remember. And what it but what it shows is that at every level, people giving to their churches, churches giving to their states, states passing on we are exceeding that executive committee level of the budget. Yeah. So the giving through the states total is around 463 million or was last year. We don't get that number until the end of the calendar year because a lot of the state conventions right. run on a January to December calendar year. 
So we will have that number in just a few months and know exactly how much was given through the cooperative program. But that national portion is what we're talking about here that you mentioned in, right. in that yeah. October of 18 to September of 19 time frame. So that number is a hair below last year's giving, $313,000 just 0.16% below last year's total of just over $197 million. So we were right on the cusp of breaking even for that this fiscal year. And uh, we've also got some other great news, Amy, on the giving front. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering total is also out and totaled $156.6 million. Yes, so that's the third highest Lottie Moon Christmas offering uh, for international missions ever received. So we're uh, we're still staying very high, and uh, it's good to get that number because we're actually headed into the holiday season, just really beginning next month. So we need to start thinking about it, and let's see if we can exceed that and get even beyond the third highest and, and maybe get to the highest next year. Yes, and some good news on this. The budget for that offering was just $154.4 million. Oh, there so you go. So they we were $2.2 million dollars above budget for that one as well. So they met budget and exceeded it. The CP met budget, exceeded it. And, you know, that's that's just great news. And now we're waiting on NAM next week. Their trustee meeting is next week out in California. We should hear a final report on Annie Armstrong Easter offering next week on the show. Excellent. Lots of updates. Yes, lots of updates and good updates as well. The trustees at the International Mission Board also met. We mentioned this last week whenever we talked about the sending service and that there was a trustee report coming. We have that today. And we have more follow-up from the Gray Plant Moody report on how the IMB has handled past matters and current policies and practices related to the prevention of and response to allegations of child abuse and sexual harassment on the field. So this is important because we have more information than we have gotten. Um, And what they've done is, first of all, they have reported every known incident of alleged child abuse by IMB personnel or others affiliated with IMB that had not been previously reported. So anything that they know that they didn't already have or hadn't dealt with, they have done. They've also taken steps to encourage people to notify authorities and the IMB of incidents of abuse. They have adopted protocols for consistent reporting of any allegations committed of child abuse committed by IMB personnel or others affiliated with the IMB uh, to U.S. government authorities. This is important. They they've they have adopted protocols even when there is not a legal duty to do so. So uh, that's that's really key because that's setting a standard as opposed to saying, well, what are the standards in your location? Uh, what's the mandatory reporting? The IMB has adopted a protocol that says report. So, um, and they've also adopted protocols for reporting allegations to foreign government authorities. Uh, And then as well, they finalized their job description for a full-time senior level position to oversee prevention and response efforts of the IMB in relation to child abuse and sexual harassment. Um, They have been seeking someone, you know, throughout the summer, they want to find the best candidate for this. Uh, At this stage, I think they are still looking and they have a job description online. People can apply and they would really like to see good applicants for this. So if you know somebody who would be an excellent candidate for this role at the International Mission Board, we will put the link to that job description in the show notes 
So you'll be able to find that easily. Also covered at the IMB trustee meeting was uh, developing a budget for next year. Uh, They are projecting $155 million in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for next year, which is uh, right at what they got this year, the 156.6. So and then $99.1 million from the cooperative program receipts. This year's uh, CP receipts were at $99.3 million. So uh, a conservative budget, but a good budget and a balanced budget at the International Mission Board of $267.4 million for 2019 2020. There you go. They also recognized. Laverne Brown, who had recently died, we covered that on the podcast a few weeks ago, just for her faithful service among sub-Saharan African affinity peoples. She had died September 12th at, at age 48, so they there was a tribute uh, to her, as well as a, a trustee, John Gray, who had been a member of First Baptist Jacksonville and had died on August 23rd. He had served on the board since 2016, so a couple of tributes as well. All right, Amy, it is the fall You know what that means. State conventions kicking off. And we have our first state convention up in the great white north, the Alaska Baptist Convention. Amy, take it away. All right. Alaska had their 74th annual meeting at College Heights Baptist Church in Saldotna. This was their third year of refocusing on a new vision, new face, new structure. And uh, they learned that their church's membership and attendance each grew by around 4%. Their new face is the Alaska Baptist Resource Network. That's kind of their rebranding. That's one of the big um, aspects of their of their plan, and they have a total of 115 congregations in that. So at least 41 of their congregations were represented, sent messengers to the annual meeting, which is is really great. Uh, There were representatives from Gateway and California Baptist giving some updates. They voted unanimously to adopt a budget of $908,394.12. About 116 of that goes to national cooperative program causes. They also received some support from NAM and Lifeway Christian Resources and other things just because of the ministry challenges up there and difficulty. I mean, think about this. This is 115 churches in a state that's twice the size of Texas. So it's not uh, as simple as in some of our you know, legacy states, the ministry that they're doing. So they really, really have to work together. Um, but they did elect officers. You want to give us that? They reelected Tracy Simmons as president. Scott Belmore was reelected as first vice president. And Anna Allen was reelected as recording secretary. Uh, Belmore is a campus minister at University of Alaska in Anchorage. And Allen's a member of First Baptist Anchorage. Nathaniel Buck was elected second vice president. He's a church planner of the Agape Fellowship in Palmer, Alaska. So all votes were unanimous and without opposition. So had four people run, four people win, and four votes cast, I guess, from the, the convention there. Yeah. So there you go. All right. No resolutions or bylaw or constitution changes were presented. And Amy, next year, you mentioned that it's the 74th this year. Next year is the 75th anniversary. So a big monumental anniversary of the Alaska Baptist Convention uh, will be held next year at First Baptist Anchorage. It was the site of Alaska's first annual meeting in 1946. That's really cool. And now that you're an EC employee, maybe you can go to that one next year, Amy, because that's a long way to travel for me. You're saying you're going to send me to Alaska? It's possible. I've been to Alaska. like Canada. It's basically the same thing. I've been to Alaska. I love it. It's Canada with American money. I mean... 
Not really. Right. I mean, it's Alaska. It has its own culture, and it's it's wonderful. I've been to Anchorage and to the Kenai Peninsula, and it was in January where it was dark like almost all the time, and there was snow up to your knees and everything. It was wonderful. I loved it. It was also really, really cold, so I, I've heard it's great in the summer. So, yeah, so Ashley Clayton actually represented the executive committee at this one, so I just talked to him a couple of days ago. He was back from that. So, Amy, that's number one of 41. There you go. Only 40 more to go. All right. So mark that one off the list. We'll check it out. All off. right, our final story this week is from Kansas City, where I just was last week. Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary announced the launch of the Center for Biblical Studies Thursday, and Andreas Kostenberger will lead the center to focus on scholarly excellence and biblical fidelity in ways that are hermeneutically sound and in keeping with historic Christianity and Baptist confessions of faith. These centers come up because they are a way for some of the academic work of the institutions to be put out. They have a center that focuses on public theology. Obviously, they have their um, Spurgeon Library that's putting out a lot of work. So this will just fall in line with some of the other opportunities for academic content to be out. So congratulations to Jason Allen and the team at Midwestern on the launch of this. And that's going to do it for our news this week and bring us to my favorite part of the week. This week in SBC history, Amy blow our minds. So we're going to go to 1957 and we're going to highlight Indiana this time. In 1957, October 3rd, the Baptist Press article, the only Baptist Press article, was that Indiana Southern Baptists had voted unanimously to proceed with plans to organize a state convention in the fall of 1958. They had had Three, this is, this is important to see in the procedures. They had had three annual state fellowship meetings. So they had had some opportunities to come together, but they weren't a convention yet. And so they had to work to actually sort of develop it, have a structure. They brought a report with some statistics. They had 95 Southern Baptist churches and 40 missions in Indiana with 18,000 members. They had total gifts of $800,000 in that past year, of which 9%, 70000 had gone to the cooperative program, uh, which I'm going to assume that just means that they were in sort of a similar agreement, even though they weren't an actual, you know, convention that had been chartered per se. So it, it was at 9%. They knew it had to be increased to 12% to meet Home Mission Board and Sunday School Board recommendations for new conventions. They'd had five years of fellowship with Southern Baptist work and three consecutive annual state fellowship meetings. They were planning the organizational meeting for the next year, but they've gotten started. They named committees on constitution, bylaws, everything, and uh, got it ready. Attendance at their fellowship was about 200 and that was going to make them the 29th state convention. So over halfway, but not to the 41 that, that we have now. And uh, so for those folks in Indiana, they were beginning the groundwork to start and be who they are today. And they were doing it this week in SBC history. That's awesome. So yeah. you get to see the... The groundwork being laid up there in Indiana for those Southern Baptists. That's exciting. Yeah, and it's interesting when you track sort of state conventions, because this is good for a week that we're kicking off state convention meetings, that, you know, in the legacy states, there were some state conventions that, you know, what that means is they they were actually constituted before the Southern Baptist Convention was. And so you have states that are older than the national. But then what began to happen is as uh, expansion happened and um, 
the home mission board did work also as people moved and uh, just kind of expanded all over then all of these other states start to develop and we saw this progression. Right now, we just kind of have this assumption. We have these state conventions. We're used to all of them. We don't see new ones popping up. But throughout history, you you saw this progression and there we were in, uh, you know, 57 and we still, this was just the 29th. So very interesting. Yeah. And I just looked up last year's story from Indiana. They had their 60th anniversary last year. Yeah. Uh, so you, you mentioned, you know, that that was started then in, in October of 1958. And in that first year, they had 111 churches. Now they're up to 420 churches in Indiana. Very cool. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? Mine is really, I know that you shared last week the ERLC live stream, but I'm going to just come back and sort of echo that and and say that my resource is really to go back to watch for them to post the videos online. Now, as we're recording this, we're not even halfway through. So people, you know, can continue to sort of watch live stream if the podcast gets posted today. But next week and in the coming days, those videos are going to get posted and there are some have already been some pretty incredible talks. And so this is something that there's a record crowd here, as I understand it, for ERLC conferences, but these are resources that can continue uh, to help people long after this weekend for equipping. But a very very poignant day yesterday and uh, lots to reflect on. I think today there's going to be a lot of really practical equipping that is happening, and this is the kind of education that we need to get out to all of our churches. Yes. And uh, it's been very good to be here as well. I, I highly recommend these. Uh, these are a different type of conference uh, than, than many. This one actually, I think, is actually different than other ERLC conferences uh, because of the, the topic, number one, but the talks. Uh, usually, you know, it's a lot of sermon-based things. These are very practical, very much more like a, a conference you would go to, uh, to to just learn. And, you know, this is how you can do things better for your church. The guy last night that was talking... Gregory Love from Fort Worth gave some very good tips and, and education on prevention of abuse from the inside. A lot of times we think abuse pe- abuse comes from those outside the church, and he was given some stats and some information on the amount that comes from inside. And that was just, I think a lot of people were talking about that last night when we were just kind of hanging out after the fact. Of, they didn't realize that, and that's something they're going to have to address when they get home. So a lot of practical information, a lot of practical tools and tips here at this conference. I totally agree with you. Uh, Very much worth people's time to go and watch either today, tomorrow, or go back and look at the uh, the recordings. So my resource of the week is Global Hunger Sunday. Next week, Amy, is Global Hunger Sunday. It's October the 13th on your SBC calendar. I know that you, you have one of those that you keep handy, Amy. Global Hunger Sunday is put on by partnership of several Southern Baptist entities and agencies, uh, including the Baptist Global Relief, who kind of spearheads this, and the ERLC. And uh, next week, we have a special offering for Global Hunger Sunday. And you can find out more at globalhungerrelief.com. Amy, I'm, I'm recording in my Global Hunger shirt. Do you see that? Very cool. Yes. Yeah. And we ran in the Global Hunger 5K a couple of years ago. Remember that? Um, I did that one. I did that where you gave money to stay in bed. Like you you yeah. slept in and you gave yeah. $25 or something like that. that that's, that's what, what I, I did, did too. So, But I'm going to say that we ran in it. 
Okay, you can because say that. We got we got a we got a finisher's medal and everything. So All right, you that can was say kind that. Of funny. All righty. Well, that's going to do it for our show this week. Again, we are at the ERLC National Conference. Amy, just a couple of takeaways from that. Uh, did you want to share? I really enjoyed your time yesterday on the panel. You, you had one of those mic drop moments at one point, talking about autonomy and accountability. I enjoyed all the speakers yesterday. I mean, it was it was just a, a fantastic day. I'm looking forward to today. We're recording this early on Friday morning right. before we head to the conference. So uh, it should be a great day. And anything that stood out for you yesterday? Well, the survivor stories for sure. Uh, Susan Cadone, Megan Lively, uh, very, very poignant and just, just striking. They did an incredible job. Kay Warren's talk was, was really phenomenal as well on uh, mental health and and uh yeah, sexual it was abuse really really good and uh i and i also really just beth moore's talk last night was was really good as well so there was a lot of yeah. great stuff jd greer's i mean that would that got a lot of big um responses myths that was focusing on myths about sexual abuse in the church and i thought that was very important to kind of bust some of those myths before we moved into the practical stuff yeah i, I don't know if you saw my tweet about that but I, I totally agree with you on that. But those are not myths, Amy. Those are lies. Let, let's call it what they well, are. Well said, because, Jonathan. Yep, they are. Because that, that's what those are. Yes. And, and, and JD, JD called them out. He named the names of, of those myths, uh, seven of them he had, and really addressed things like we have not seen before. So uh, fantastic as well. I, I highly recommend that one. And like you said, I mean, it just it's been wall-to-wall stellar content and music from... Matt Boswell and the team, it, just amazing. So a lot of hymns and, and just really, really good stuff. So, Yes. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our show this week. Tune in next week. We'll have more news. We should have some Annie Armstrong Easter offering news from the North American Mission Board to share with you next week. And uh, we'll see where that leads, as well as a full recap of the Caring Well Conference. We'll see you next week. See you next week.